0: You know, I think uh, there's some, the last couple, of we've had different messages from different people, but there's been a the same theme that's been coming across, even from our testimony service, from uh, the message that Donna Baptiste gave uh, last week is that, that God uh, desires to manifest his presence to us and to be with us in the midst of everyday life, and uh, that he knows us by name and he wants this relationship with, it, with us. And uh, I don't know, but there's, there's a lot of confusion in the world today. I mean, if you've been listening to any of the news reports or anything that's going on, there's a lot of unrest and turmoil. And uh, I agree with Jeff, you know, we need to not be people of fear, but we need to be drawing closer to the Lord and discerning what God wants us to do in, our, in this day and age when there's so much unrest and turmoil, what is our role? How does God want us to be an instrument for his glory, for his peace to be manifest to other people? And that may be with you at work. That may be with you uh, with friends at school or in your uh, surroundings. But God wants us and wants to use us. And I see this more and more. Yesterday, I was reading an article in the New York Times It was a story about Michael Dang. Anybody familiar with this story? It's a story about a freshman who was going to Baruch College, and he was Chinese. Uh, He uh, grew up in Long Beach, in uh, Long Island, in Nassau County, and then actually left and went to Flushing with his mom. His dad worked in China. And so then he, he graduated high school, went to Bronx uh, Science, got into a good high school, and then decided to go to Baruch College. When he goes to Baruch College, this guy is, you know, he's searching for his identity. And so he joins an Asian-American fraternity. And uh, he joins this fraternity, and in the fraternity they have uh, a hazing time. And uh, what they do is they you know, they go to a certain place, they went to the Poconos, they rented a house, 37 young people went to the house and they did a gauntlet, which they put a big knapsack on his back and then uh, put rocks in it and he had to carry it. And this, this uh, fraternity was also educational. They taught about Asian American history, but they also were... So for their identity, this, Michael was searching for something to hold on to, and so he thought with these friends, with this fraternity, he could trust these brothers, well, they blindfolded him just like they did five other of the recruits, and they tackled him, and they tackled him so hard that he hit his head, and he felt dizzy, and then he told people that he wasn't feeling well, he fell asleep by the fireplace. The next morning when they woke him up, he, they couldn't wake him up. He was in a coma and he died the next day. Well, what happened is this article says that uh, the guy that was reporting, he went to the trial in Pennsylvania just this past week. And here are these uh, five people, the people that tackled him. They're just, they're young men, young Chinese men that didn't realize the trouble that they're in, they're facing two to three years on third degree murder. And uh, they've also uh, put out um, uh, a civil lawsuit and other people are being investigated. All 37 of the people in the, or 35 people in the uh, fraternity are being investigated on collaboration and hiding evidence of why they didn't wake him up, why they didn't report him to the police and all these things like that. And I just wondered, how does that happen to somebody? I mean, here's this person that is, you know, full of promise, a good student, and then just falls into this place of searching for something. Like, who am I? And the article went on to say that for Asian American, there's no Asian American country, right? There's no, uh, there's no real Asian American, uh, you know, uh, cultural um, Traditions, it's you know, it's a of you know, it's many different Asian different cultures, but people are searching for identity. And I, I just felt burdened for this young man and then all these other young men in this fraternity that their lives are forever going to be changed because of this incident. And it happened like that. You know, and it also said in the article that many of these young men were from churches. Chinese churches in and around the metropolitan area. That these guys had gone to church, some of them had been baptized, some of them had, you know, gone through everything, uh, through high school and the youth group and everything like that. But then when they went away to college, they wanted to experience life in a different way and they still had not (coughs) found their identity in Jesus Christ. You know, they did not sense that Jesus was enough for them. So they went to search for other things. And you know, the writer of Hebrews, you know, had just read the, the book of Hebrews, uh, part of that section to us in chapter 6. But the, it's written to the Hebrews who are also searching for their identity. So it's pretty interesting that the book of Hebrews is written to Jews who had made Jesus the Messiah. Uh, had had asked Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of their life even though they were Jewish and then they were ostracized by their culture their Jewish culture and after following Christ and even sacrificing they were starting to question did they really believe and so the book of Hebrews is written to these people who are kind of wandering they're not sure about what they believe anymore I think that can be sometimes in our life. We can get that way too. We can get so used to Christianity that it doesn't become personal and intimate. Our relationship with God is not something that's alive. It's just something that we do and or maybe have experience as a kid, but there's no active, manifest presence of God in our lives. And because we drift away, so oh, The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey guys, remember, remember what you believe. And he says first, Jesus is, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, Jesus is God the Son, the Son of God. He's the exact representation of God. He's not an angel. He's not a false teacher. He is God the Son, superior to any angel, or, and God speaks through him. He was saying that, look at guys. You have believed the right thing. Jesus is the one you are to pursue. We were just talking in Sunday school, and somebody's coworker was uh, had just uh, been struggling in their life, and they came back all excited because they saw a psychic. They went and saw a psychic, and I said, "Is this person a believer? Are they a Christian?" They said, "Yeah, they're." They said that they're a Christian. Uh, I said, "Do they go to church?" No, they don't go to church anymore. But they're seeking for an answer. They they want something more than Jesus Christ. They want somebody to tell them that things are going to be okay. And I, what I want to say to us today is, there are so many people that are just searching, and they're searching for. They're finding. They're not finding the answers in those things. And yet, we know the answer. It's in Jesus Christ. So, the one thing is Jesus is the Son of God. Although he is God, he was also a man. And so, for some of the Jewish people, they said, well, Jesus was just a man. I mean, he was, you know, we know Mary. We know his mother. How could he be God? Well, he was both God and man at the same time. And that's the beauty of it. (laughs) He understands what we're going through. He's tempted in every way that we have been tempted. He understands weakness. He understands really what we're going through. And so he is a faithful high priest. And so the book of Hebrews keeps on saying, Jesus is better than anything else. And he's he's made a better covenant with us. He's made better promises. And he is someone that you can trust in. And then the last thing that he says here in these first five, six chapters is he still speaks today. So when you hear his voice, respond to him, come to him, place your hope in him, your faith, your confidence in him, take your fears and lay them at his feet and let him speak into your life. Don't live in anxiety and worry and fear and, or anger or bitterness, but come and have this relationship with Christ. So from these first six chapters of Hebrews, God is telling these Jewish believers, don't Give up. Place your hope and your confidence in Christ. And then he goes on, and this is the passage that I want to focus on today, is uh, what he told them this. After he tells them this, he says this, and it's very important here. We do not want you to become lazy or apathetic, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. He's making them aware. I understand you're going through struggles. I understand you may have doubts. But look back in biblical history. Everybody that God used has had these struggles. And then he goes back to a specific person that they all is their hero. It's Abraham, the founder of the Hebrew nation. He says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God said, I swear that I will bless you, Abraham. I will surely bless you, giving many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently 25 years, Abraham received what was promised. At 99 years of age, his wife became pregnant. Uh, Isaac was born. And then this verse is talking about Genesis chapter 22. That story where Abraham has to take his one and only son. And God says bring him up to Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him there. And it is like one of the strangest things in the entire Bible. But it is a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ, God did in sending His Son to be sacrificed for us. But it's also a test of Abraham's faith. He's saying, Abraham, who do you love more? Do you love the blessings that I've given you? Is that more important in your life, or am I more important? And so God, whenever you are walking with Jesus Christ, there are going to be tests in your life. And he's going to test us all into saying, wh- who do we love the most? Who's going to be the center of our life? For some people, they have a child centered family. For other people, their career is the center of their life. For other people, it's uh, the, the vacations that they can take. That's the most important thing in their life. For a believer, for a Christian, it's this relationship with Jesus Christ that he wants to cultivate. That he wants us to experience his presence his power in our lives. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't give up. Because Abraham persevered through all the trials that he went through. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. And Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. He turned it all over to God, and then God gave him back his son. You know, you know the story that right when Abraham was about to sacrifice him, God said, stop, Abraham, stop. Don't do that. Don't harm the child. Look it, I've provided a sacrifice. And he saw the ram caught in a bush. And then he brought the lamb and he sacrificed it to the Lord. And they worshiped the Lord together. Abraham had his son Isaac. But he had a newfound faith and relationship with God where it called Abraham a friend of God. That he had this relationship with God. And that's really what God is after in our lives. He doesn't want just a casual relationship with us. He wants to have the closest relationship possible with us. And he desires us to come before him. Even when we're struggling, even when things are going difficult, it's the most important time to come to God. And He gives us these promises and and He talks about them. You know, like this is what He said to Abraham. Even after he did that, he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Through your offspring. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, the descendant of Abraham. And so God fulfilled his promise. And so God is saying to us, I know what you're going through, but hang on, hold on to me, trust me in the situation that you're going through, and draw closer to me and allow me to speak to you. You know, I'm reminded that, you know, God is the one he has an unchanging nature. He always keeps his promises. He's not like a man that he should lie. But he is a God who keeps his promises. And when we hear him speak, and when he gives you his promise, and when he speaks into your life, you can hold on to that. And it can be the most, the greatest thing, the, the anchor for your soul. I think. What the problem that we have is that our tendency is we drift. We drift away from God. And uh, that's, you know, the writer of Hebrew uses this term let Christ be the anchor of your soul, or your hope in Him be an anchor for your soul. And we need an anchor for our soul. Why? Because our soul, our hearts tend to wander or drift towards other things. Somebody said, our soul is like Velcro. It always attaches to other things. Our soul can be so preoccupied with just uh, the worries and the cares of this life. Or our soul can be so preoccupied with only our children. The only thing that we think about is how to help them. Or Or our friends. Or anything other than Jesus Christ. And God is always calling us into this deeper relationship. He never gives up on us. But if you're like me, I tend to wander. I tend to drift. There's a hymn that says this, Come thou fount of every blessing, O to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter or like a chain, bind my my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave. The God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Old hymn. We don't sing those anymore. But it's a beautiful hymn. Beautiful hymn. That God wants to take hold of our hearts in the midst of this life. You know, one of the things that I usually do is... um, when I sense that my soul is drifting from the Lord and it does drift, usually what happens in my mind is i 'm full of anxiety, uh, a lot of frustrating thoughts go on, a lot of unsettledness, and I know I just don 't have that peace in my heart you know Have you ever been there ever, Have you ever sensed that you know like there 's just an unquietness in your spirit and it 's an indicator that my soul is not really focused on Jesus Christ or holding on to the anchor and I'm drifting. So what I try to do is I, when I know that's really that I'm, I'm not experiencing the presence of God much and I feel distant from him, I'll try to set aside extra time to be in his presence. And so I did that one time just a couple weeks ago. And uh, and so I, I was, in my daily reading, I was reading Psalm 19. And so when I was reading Psalm 19, this is what I do, and I, I want to share it with you because maybe some of you, it'll relate to some of you. Uh, so I was reading Psalm 19, and the, it comes into this one line, at the last line it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I just focused on those Five words, my rock and my redeemer. What does that mean, Lord? So I started thinking about it. The Bible says meditation, to meditate on the word of God. Meditation is not wrong. If you meditate on the word of God. So I kept on saying, you are my rock. Uh, You are my redeemer and my redeemer. And I stopped thinking about that. I said, what does that mean? And then I got a picture in my mind. I had a picture in my mind of this real, you know, this island, this big rocky island, and all around it is this stormy sea. And then I felt like I was in the stormy sea, right? And I'm like struggling. i, I got a vivid imagine- imagination. But I really think this is from the Lord. And I'm struggling. And then all of a sudden, I feel somebody take my hand and I'm back on shore. And I know what happened. Jesus rescued me. And so I get back on the shore, and I'm just so thankful to God. Oh, God, you are my rock. You're my redeemer. I'm so excited about that. And then I stop, and I listen, and a still small voice says, look out there. And so I look on the stormy sea, and there's other people out there. And the Lord says, go help them. And I said, in my heart, I said, no way. I'm going back out there. And then, all of a sudden, I felt kind of ashamed about that. And then I said, you're a pastor. And you know this is just a vision, so why are you, <laughs> you know, this is just a, why are you not willing to help? Because I might drown. Or, you know, I've just been through that. you know, I've I don't know if I can help them. And then I thought about them and and then I thought about the whole situation and I thought about, Lord, you're my rock and my redeemer. But it's just not for me to be, he's my rock and my redeemer. I am supposed to then take that faith and help somebody else find Jesus to be their rock and their redeemer. And you know what the Lord said to me? I never told you to do it alone. It's not up to you. And so I began to think, it's not, you're not the rock, Al. You're not the redeemer. I am. I want you to join me in reaching out to other people that are drowning in this world, that are full of fear, that are struggling. And God can use you. But that's not only just a word for me, that's a word for all of us because God wants to use us. But when our hearts are full of fear, when our hearts are just consumed with other things, we won't see the people drowning. if we see them, we won't help them. I was reminded of the story of Peter. You know, Peter and the disciples are going out and they've just fed the 5,000 and then they're going out on this boat and so they take off, Jesus is praying and then a storm comes up, and who comes to meet them? Jesus, walking on the water. You know the story. He's walking on the water. And Peter is in the boat. All the disciples are like, they're like freaked out. There's somebody walking on the water. Nobody's ever seen this before, right? Jesus walking on the waves and the storm and the wind, and it's just completely out of their comfort zone. And so, what happens? Peter gets up this courage, Lord, if it's you, I don't even know if it's you, I can't even tell, this is unbelievable. But if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And the amazing thing is, Jesus says, Come. And so Peter gets out of the boat. He starts to walk on the water and he comes towards Jesus. And this is, you know, what are the other disciples thinking? They're probably just, their mouths are just open. They're just, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And then what happens? But when Peter, he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And then what does he do? He cries out, Lord, save me. And I love this part, the next part here. Because Peter is sinking. He's crying out, Lord, save me. And the disciples in the boat, I don't know if I was watching this whole thing, I'd say, Peter, see what happened now? See, you thought you could walk on water, but now you're sinking. Or Jesus, what what did Jesus say? You know, come on, Peter. Oh, too bad. Next, who wants to go next? You're gone. Who's next? No. Jesus has total compassion on Peter. Because he's trying, he's trying to make a step of faith and move forward with Jesus and do something he's never done before. And Jesus isn't critiquing him, he isn't condemning him. What does it do? What does he say he does? Immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. And then he does. He says, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? But I don't see Jesus saying. You little faith, why did you doubt? He didn't say it like that. I don't think Jesus said it like that. I think he said, Peter, he's probably smiling. He said, Peter, come on. Why did you doubt? I'm here. I can calm the waters. He gets back in the boat. They also were in the boat, worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And he calmed the waters, and he calmed the waves and they continued on their journey. But what I see here is that Peter had the courage to step out by faith and to trust God. And he learned that Jesus was trustworthy. He learned that Jesus, he could place his hope and his confidence in Jesus Christ, and even in the midst of the storm, even when he was sinking, God would lift him up if he just called on him. And that's a lesson for you and I too. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. There's a picture here that that the writer of Hebrews is saying is, Jesus is trustworthy. He's an anchor for your soul when you're fearful. He's an anchor for your soul when you're confused. He's an anchor for your soul when you're searching for your identity. Don't find it out there. Find it in Him. And when you find it in Him, you will experience His presence more and more in your life. But He wants us to step in. To step closer to Him. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, the Bible says this, and and the writer of Hebrews says this, because we have a great high priest, because Jesus is a great high priest. Now, I was raised Catholic, so I can say this, okay? I was raised Catholic, and I went to confession. And when you go into the confession booth, there is this clouded glass. You never see the, in my, my church, we never saw the priest's face. But you could confess your sin to him and then usually he gave you penance on what to do. You say three Hail, Hail Marys, three Our Fathers, and um, you say your act of contrition. And so then your sins would be forgiven. And I never knew the guy. I mean, I, didn't, I, didn't, I sometimes you didn't know which priest was in there. It's just that was in my we were in a parish. So I never knew the guy. But the writer of Hebrews is saying this. We have a great high priest. Who personally knows your name and knows everything you're going through, has been tempted in every way that you have, yet without sin, who knows your weaknesses, who knows your situation, so come to Him. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, not in shame, not in fear, but with confidence. That we might receive mercy. That means forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong. And grace, the strength to help us in our time of need. There's another hymn that I love. It's called, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. We sing it as cornerstone, but it's based on that hymn. But some of the lines they don't say. And these are some of the. This is one of the lines they say: "On Christ the solid rock I stand; all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. We do sing that, but this one: His oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood." When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. His oath, his covenant, his blood. You see, Jesus, God swore to Abraham. He said, I swear by myself that I am going to fulfill this promise to you. And he kept it. And then he made a covenant with Abraham. Jesus did the same thing. He came and He gave His very life for us. And then He died on the cross and made a covenant in His blood. A better covenant. A covenant that is secure. That enters in, that allows us to enter into a relationship with Him. If we will take the promises of God and the initiative to come before Him in prayer, God will do that in our lives. I I just want to encourage you today, whatever situation that you're in, that the Lord wants to have a deeper relationship with you and a more intimate relationship with you than you've experienced in your life before. I, I, I believe that with all my heart. And he also wants us to understand what are we holding on to? Like what are we really centering our lives on? And if it's not him, Then we're on shaky ground. All other ground is sinking sand. We will will sink. But here's the great thing. If we say, Lord, I really want to follow you. I really want you to teach me what that means. That he will pick us up immediately and put us on solid ground. And so I just believe God wants to speak to us today. And he wants Uh, I don't know if it's going to be in this service, but this week, I really encourage you to spend some extra time with God in prayer. Just do some soul searching. Uh, May your fears uh, be diminished and may your faith be increased. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that you are God who does answer prayer. And Lord, even though our souls are and our hearts are prone to wander, Lord, I pray that we would be a people when we sense that wandering, when we sense that drifting. Lord, we'll call upon you in repentance and forgiveness. Seek your mercy and renew that relationship with you, Lord. Because you are a great high priest, who has gone before us, who has made a way into the most holy place, into your very presence, and you call us to come closer to you. Lord, with everybody's situation here, with the busyness of life, Lord, I pray that we will consciously carve out time in our lives to spend with you, to talk to you about the issues in our lives to seek you for the answers. Pray this in Jesus' name.